Welcome to New Wineskins, a podcast dedicated to helping your church discover fresh perspectives for the 21st century. In each episode, we take time to dialogue with pastors and church staff, lay leaders and experts who bring new ideas and fresh perspectives to support your local church. Now, our host for this program is Dr. Tony Brooks, field strategist for the Baptist General Association of Virginia. Tony's vision for this broadcast is to help you increase your ministry effectiveness, to engage your community, and fulfill your calling in the context of your local culture. Well, we believe that today's episode is going to be a huge resource in helping you do those very things. So we hope that you'll listen all the way through and share this information with others as well. Stay with us until the very end, and we'll tell you how you can get more information about the topics covered in today's episode and how you can connect with Tony and the BGAV. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Here's Tony. I'm very thankful to have with me Reverend Craig Harwood. Um, Craig is a Southwestern Seminary graduate, a Master's of Divinity, former pastor, vice president of human resources for Coca-Cola. He's now our minister in residence for leadership development. And uh, uh, Craig, you know, I already think the world of you and just our short time of getting to know each other. But welcome. Glad you could join me today. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate it. So let's talk about leadership development. I, I know it's just it's been challenging over the last um, two and a half years um, based on the shifts that are going on across culture. We could go political. I mean, we could go lots of ways. But if you're trying to help leaders, pastors, staff, what are some of those attributes, skills that they need to really work on? Well, when I think about it, it, in today's environment, I think at the core is the skill of working among a people of God instead of leading over a people of God. It, think back through our history and all the years that you and I have been in ministry. There were times when, when church members expected us to be that set aside top person, making the decisions, and doing an awful lot of the work. Right. And, and maybe st- still some have that attitude, but yet more and more the requirement, because so much is changing, and there's so much complexity around us, that really learning the skill of instead of what we grew up with standing apart and giving orders, but rather to walk among the people, being vulnerable, learning in communication skills, ways that, you know, when you and I were in seminary, we learned how to preach. That was our communication skill that we were taught. I'm talking about how we communicate in all facets, whether it be social media, among a small group, um, our consistency in communication, practices in communication while working through discerning God's will, that area of vulnerability of standing in the midst of people and and the skills of communication in the midst of that and also that the whole idea of drawing people together community building team building yes. there's some very basic core skills that come with team or community building but it's one thing to to set agendas and drive direction and set strategy, but it's another to do the daily walk while you're doing the building. 
Lines. So I think those are a, a couple of things that come to mind. So, you know, we didn't get most of this in seminary. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what are some of the ways to increase those skills? How, how can they best do that? Well, in my walk, it's always started with awareness. Because I, I can see someone from a distance do something that I go, how did they do that? But awareness to me is when I can see the application of it in my own setting. Right. And the awareness of how I talk to people, the awareness of my vulnerability among people, um, living and working transparently, um, all of that skills come to light in terms of awareness in practice. Oh, if I could have handled that meeting better, or if I could have managed that project differently, we first of all become aware of whatever it might be. And then from the awareness, we can try these things on and put the experience to the test. Maybe take a program, maybe read a book. So much is on YouTube these days. Lots of how-tos right. in terms of the basics that we used to have to sign up for workshops and go attend workshop workshops that you can just pick up on a YouTube video and see someone practicing it. And then how do you internalize that and maybe grab some buddies and, and, uh, and work it through with some buddies together and be vulnerable in it and say, I'm learning this, I'm practicing this, give me feedback, test me in it. And then from the practice of it, applying it, and when you can apply it and you gain confidence in the Lord in the application of it, then you take it and you start to teach others and you start to mentor others in it. So the, it, it all begins with the awareness, but whatever the skill might be, whether it be communication, project management, team building, um, laying out a strategy and seeing it through to completion, accountability fulfilled to fulfill the things that we said we were going to do in the first place. Right. Those are all muscle building skills that we just have to get out there and try them on and practice them. That's a good word, Craig. Um, again, for me, coaching has been a big part of that as well. Uh, when you're trying to figure something out and um, as a trained life coach and of course, Ken Kessler as well. And, I've had him on the podcast to talk about coaching. Uh, new pastors, especially when they're coming in, they don't have any clue other than what they were taught in seminary. Um, having a coach, um, and Craig, I probably mentioned this. I've got eight pastors, seasoned pastors, that are mentor uh, a young pastor at no cost to them, and I think that's a good thing as well. So I have to jump in. You know where I'm going. Fanning the flame. You just uh, did that for us. We had a great group of pastors on there. And I think all this comes together with a skiing story you have. Uh, so jump in there and tell us about that. Uh, and just we're confident when we come into position, we think we can do this on our own. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I um it's just a, a little cycle that I um, have learned to be patient with myself over <laughs> with through the years and right. and constantly seeking the Lord to to train me up and and walk me through things that 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 starts with this. Yes, as you mentioned, this naive 
and natural innocence of right. thinking, I can, I got this. I can do this. Uh, hands off, God. Hands off, everybody. I got this. Let me run with it. And and then getting to the point of frailty revealed, which mm. in each of our lives we hit those moments. And and the real key in leadership development, from from my experience, is in those frailty revealed moments. It's what we do with it. Right. It's what we let the Lord. It's what we let the Lord do with it that determines what the outcome is going to be. Is it going to be renewed loyalty, which is the third element of this cycle, or is it going to be a derailment? And and this is why, uh, and I've been practicing this kind of cycle, even when I, I took this ski trip several years ago to Cormier, and, um, but I thought skiing wasn't one of those areas that right. it was going to um, apply to. <laughs> because as far as I was concerned, I was just an exceptional skier. And, and there's nothing I couldn't ski through or ski down. And, and I got up to the top of Cormier and, and it turns out that I, I found myself, I, I go up to the top of a lift where there was no ski path down. And, and I found myself over on a ledge after taking off with all these warning signs standing in front of me that well, I can ski through anything. And, and it, it so happened though, Tony, that I didn't, and I mentioned this in the, in the fanning the flame recording, I didn't know what the phrase off piste meant. And that was the word that was in English on this warning, warning sign. And I discovered later that off piste meant off trail. There were no trails. <laughs> and, and so um, I ventured down and out and across to this ledge found myself on a ledge where I couldn't see below me. And, and I, I just didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. Um, I saw no place to, to go. There was a couple that I had run into earlier and I'd asked them, what direction do I go? And the woman spoke very broken English and pointed in the direction uh, off to her right. And at the time I'm standing on the edge of this ledge and I look out across the other side of the mountain and I can see them, they're a small speck, her and her husband. And I just see them continuing to traverse. They're not even skiing. They're still walking their skis across rocks. And I thought, well, I don't wanna do that. And also, I don't know if I make this next turn where my skis are gonna land. Right. After this point, there's no turning back. And I didn't know <laughs> if I could do it. For the first time in my life, I doubted myself on my skis. Mm. And I stood there in that wide open, cavernous, mountainous space and just asked, Lord, what do I do? I had never turned back anything in my whole life. Never turned around. I'd always walked through everything. Walls were to break down and go through, not to turn around, not to go backwards, not to anything. And in that moment, I just decided I have to turn back. Right. I wasn't strong enough to do this. And so I took off my skis gently, very, very cautiously, because I'm on the edge of this icy ledge. And I had I'd already skied down about 50 yards. And as I got my skis off and very, 
gently stood back up with my skis and my poles and looked back up the hill, there were five guys standing above me, just glaring at me. And this was such a narrow pass that they couldn't go on until I moved. Hmm. So I inched back a couple of inches, just as far as I could to let them by. And the first one just glared at me before he took off. And he just said, you idiot. What are you doing out here? You have no avalanche beacon. You have no compass. You have no guide. Nothing. You're an idiot. And then he skied on. And one after another, they went by me. And the shame just continued to build inside hmm. me as they each skied past me. And the fifth and final one got to me. And he stopped for a second. He said, you are an imbecile. And I just nodded my head at him in agreement. I was just full of shame. And he said, you're British, aren't you? And I didn't want to admit that I was an ignorant American. And so I said, <laughs> yeah, I'm British. And, and he just shook his head and, and off he went. And, and I started the trek back 50 yards up this steep slope to a ridge um, where I reached thinking that I was going to find a ski slope down originally. And I got back up to that ridge and I didn't, I just needed to catch my breath. And I didn't know if I was going to make it back up to, I had to get back to the ski lift. Right. before it closed. And I started worrying, what, what am I going to do if I don't make it back up there before the lift closes? Will they send somebody out? Do they sense, they don't send ski patrol up where there aren't any runs. How am I going to make it? Well, I just, just start, just go. You don't have any other choice. I didn't have any cell phone coverage. I didn't have anything. Wondered, started to wonder how cold it was going to be up there at night. Didn't know what I was going to do with it. So I just started walking, walking with my skis, slowly trudging through the snow. The snow set, I started sinking in deeper and deeper as I went. And, and I even at once wondered if I should maybe try to put my skis on, but I didn't know, then what am I going to do? I'm trudging back uphill here, and it'd be even more difficult than trying to walk. And, and um, a couple of groups had passed by me, and, and each time there's just a really thin ledge that we skied across to get over to this first ledge before they went over the side. And um, at one point, a family came by me, a young family, and, and they asked if I was okay. And the dad asked if I wanted to join them. And by that time, I was so exhausted. I didn't think I had the strength to go down back over that edge, even if I was following somebody who knew where they were going. And and uh, the, probably the most embarrassing part of that moment was it was a, it was a husband, a wife, and three, three sons, or three kids at least. The youngest was a boy, I noticed, um, at least. They all had helmets on. And he was about eight years old. And he mm. was heading off over that icy slope that I just feel I couldn't traverse. And uh, they got past me. I kept on going a little ways. And then another group came along and, again, asking me if I was okay. Uh, offered me some water. And I was leaning up against the edge of this rock ledge as they went by me. And, and the last guy to, to come by me, he stopped for a moment. And he, he just asked me if I was all right. 
he said, now I've, I've, I've been here before in places like this, like you are. But I'm just going to give you some advice. First of all, put on your skis. If you don't put on your skis, you're going to continue to sink more and more into the snow and you're going to cause a snow slide and it's going to carry you down to the bottom of that ravine as we look mm. down uh, to my right. It's going to carry you down to the bottom and you'll never get out of there. So put on your skis. Take your time. Be brave. And you will make it. Okay. Just put on your skis. You got that? You'll put on your skis? I said, yes, I'll, <laughs> I'll put on my skis. Okay. Put them on. Be brave and take your time. You will make it. And he went on. I did. I slowly put on my skis, started inching my way across that ledge and duck walking where I could on my skis and, and, um, and then inching some more and inching a little more until I finally did. I made it back. He was right. I made it back up to the top of that lift um, housing where I just collapsed. I just collapsed on the ground and <laughs> cried my eyes out, just cried like a baby. I was just so relieved that I had made it. And, and it, I, I got back up to the chair, put myself on a chair. There was no assistant up there. There was nobody up there except the warning sign mm. uh, because people just didn't go ski up there. But I, as the chairs were going around and circling back down the mountain, I got up, I put myself on a chair, rode all the way back down that mountain, called the concierge at the hotel where we were staying, had them come pick me up and, and got got back to the got back to the hotel and um i walked in the room and april was my wife was there in the room and she just could see how just torn up and exhausted i was yeah. and she said what's wrong and i just collapsed on the bed and started crying and i explained the whole story to her i couldn't I, I couldn't believe that I was alive for one and that, that, but, but also that I was so, so weak. And I, even to this day, when I, when I go rent skis before this experience, when I would go rent skis, I would always write on the form expert skier when they set the bindings for me. <laughs> and now I'm a mediocre slope only skier and and happy to be able to do that and um but the whole experience for me of of just thinking i could conquer anything right to then being challenged and having to turn back and turn around and and retreat and and then find my way again onto my skis and back to civilization and seeing it through uh, just provided a number of life lessons for me. Yeah. Craig, that's very powerful. Uh, again, I thought it was when you shared it uh, with Fanning the Flame. I I'm reminded again, uh, too often we do have this uh, naivete that we can do anything. Um, I I'm taking a group of pastors through um, Gil Rendell's book, Quietly Courageous, right now. And I don't remember what page. I mean, we just did this on Monday. 
but there's a page where they talk about, we think we have unlimited resources. We can do it ourselves, which is really atheistic. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not relying on God at all. And I, I, I think that's part of the challenge we face. Um, in our world right now, in our churches right now, and as pastors right now. Um, and wow, Tony, yeah. I, how many times in my churches have I felt I just needed to pull myself up? The old expression, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Right. Oh, yeah. And managing it under my own control and my own power rather than releasing it to the Lord. Yeah. It's very powerful. Um so, Craig, I know part of uh, our discussion, again, as minister in residence uh, in leadership development, we've been talking about even bivocational ministry, that I do love the term co-vocational. Uh, and churches need to understand, um, as the, the, the pool of candidates dwindle and resources dwindle, it, it's good to have a pastor who's co-vocational, um, that they can be called in a secular job and ministering to people, and at the same time, be a pastor of a small church. Um, how do we get that point across to churches that see it as a failure when they no longer can afford someone full-time? Well, I think, first of all, when they choose to go, and of course, I'm saying this from a bias because I've been a co-vocational, bivocational pastor for 30 years. I know. Yeah. Is you're not picking a lesser than person. You're, You're not picking a lesser than servant of the Lord. You're not compromising the ministry of your community to go there. In fact, I would, I would put a challenge out there. Would it be possible for churches to, to even go to the place of not even thinking about full-time versus part-time? Oh, it, Tony, it just makes my skin crawl. Every time I'm at an ordination service and I hear someone say, this person's been called to full-time Christian ministry. Mm, yeah. I'm oh, with you. it just, it, well, even right now, saying it put a knot in my stomach. Mm. Where did that come from? What scripture in the Bible calls that out, that I could be so entitled as a minister that I may never have to do any other kind of job other than be the pastor of a church? Yeah, who do, you think, who, do you, who do you think you are? Craig, I'm with you. I would suggest we go further. Again, I've been um, really uh, inspired over the years, Finley Edge, many others. Every person who um, decides to follow Christ is called into full-time ministry. <laughs> it's, it's not about the job. It's about the calling and following whatever Christ wants. So I'm... I'm with you. And that's a really good point. Um, And I would suggest, and again, I would love for you to have been my pastor. 
because you brought skill sets from your secular job as well that many seminary trained pastors and that's all they've done they don't they don't have those skill sets so i would even suggest you're probably better off in a lot of ways and it, yeah depending on the person who's being called to that to that yeah. community yeah. yeah uh but as i think about it so so first of all it's it is. You're not picking a lesser than. If you're going co-vocational, you're not picking a lesser than person. You're not going to a lesser than skill set. Secondly, I think churches need to come to terms with um, a second key reason they don't go co-vocational or bivocational. They don't know this. It's one of those blind spots for them. But right. when you hire a person who makes their income from another job, they don't have the same control over that person right? that they do who they're paying the salary for, salary and benefits. I even had one old boy in a church I was in, and we were, I was, we were moving forward with some things, and the church all voted it in, making changes, um, moving the church forward, and he, there was something he didn't want me to do. And he kept, he kept needling me to set it aside. It, and then finally, he got so frustrated with me one day, he blurted out, we're in the hallway just before the worship is about to begin. He blurted mm. out, you know what I don't like about you being here? I can't control you with your paycheck. Uh. <laughs> and, and, and I believe no one will admit this publicly. They won't admit it within their churches. And they may not even really know it, but subconsciously. When they can hire someone, quote, full-time with salary and benefits that they have no other job, they've got leverage with that paycheck and with ownership of their church. And so that's, that's a second one for me uh, about the personal gut check that a, that a church community needs to have. And, and then the third one that I would mention, these are the three that, that, that came top of mind to me. Um, the third one would be to recognize, like you mentioned, uh, what people say, you're called into full-time Christian ministry. You're full, called into full-time ministry when you're born again. And, and when, when you accept Christ you begin, and you walk in Him. Um, is that churches need to recognize that, that gifts are throughout the church, throughout the community. Amen. And don't just sit with the pastor. And, and so some who like to have the controls, the mechanic, mechanistic controls, but maybe don't want to do all the dirty work that, that pastors step in and do, the gifts of the church are, are divided equally among the membership as the Lord sees fit. Yes. Yes, I agree 100%. And really have bought into the idea of the fivefold ministry in Ephesians 4 uh, from many authors, many discipling pieces. Um, and so helping pastors even to know um, how to equip those saints for the maturity, right? Um, Ephesians 4, it's pretty clear. Craig, man, this is great. Great information. Um so the next steps, let's talk about that. Your ministry with us and um, what's coming up, I, I know. But uh, for others that might want to know, 
the different cohorts, things that you might be doing to start out. And I know there'll be others along the way, but just to kind of get it going, um, share a little bit about what's going on there. Okay. Uh, we're beginning a, uh, a six-month pilot program. We're calling it Next Level Leader. And it's going to kick off in September. We already have the, um, the, the uh, participants uh, right. pulled together. And in fact, I just started contacting them yesterday. And we're going to spend, starting in September, we're going to spend six months together um, in, in monthly, monthly meetings, three of them in person and all-day meetings, and, and three of them in pod groups, where I divide the, the participants into smaller groups that we do Zoom meetings uh, once a month and work through leadership issues and, yeah. and challenges that everyone is dealing with. It's actually more like an eight-month project because I'm beginning to work with them now by doing a, a, an assessment series. It's called Hogan, Hogan Assessments, and I, I'm doing assessment that assessment series with them now. And so I'll be on Zoom and on the phone with them here starting in a couple of weeks. But we started our official kickoff in September of this pilot uh, program, and we'll go through to next spring with it. And, and assess it and learn from it and, and see where we go from there. Good. Yeah. Um, and I, I believe we're working on some other pieces as well. That's going to be very helpful. And I'm just, I'm excited. I'm very thankful for you. Uh, oh. The skills that you bring, uh, the calling you bring. Um, I mean, we could get into your call story and what happened, uh, how you ended up in Virginia. I mean, we could go lots of ways. But um, I know we want to keep this uh, fairly brief, but I I'm very thankful. Please hear me. And uh, oh, thankful for the Hogan's assessment and uh, the phone call we had about mine and uh, things that I can work on. Uh, I think there's so much more. Bottom line, Craig, uh, after goodness, Thinking through, um, 20, nope, sorry. Yeah. Close to 30 years in the church and then coming back, um, and working, um, for Virginia Baptist, I came back because I felt like I had it all together. And then I hit those spots that I didn't have it all together and realized I was really not following God. I was not trusting God. I was trying to do it on my own and um, know that pastors and staff can often feel like they're isolated on an island um, and wanting to walk alongside and just encourage and and help in different ways. And I think you bring a whole new element of skills that uh, that I don't have, and I'm very thankful you do uh, to help in so many different ways. So thank you for this time. I really appreciate it. So if someone on the podcast, again, may not be even BJV, uh, most will be, but let's say there's not one. What's the best way for them to contact you if they wanted more information about what we've shared? 
Um, I believe I'm in the directory on the BGAV website. I, I think people can can talk, contact me there. Uh, my my email, my BGAV email, is craig.t.harwood at bgav.com or dot org or what what are those, Tony? Uh, yes, <laughs> dot, dot org. Dot org. Dot yeah. org. Yeah. Yeah. And so so that's probably the the easiest way. That's perfect. And, uh, yeah. Okay. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I've, I've got friends in North Carolina, other places that, hey, maybe they'll be BJV sometime, but right now they're not. And uh, wanted to make sure they had that as well. I do appreciate your time today. Thank you, Tony. I've enjoyed it. And let me just correct myself. I think it was Craig.Harwood at BGAV. Yes. My, my Gmail has the T in it. <laughs> I got you. I got yeah. you. Perfect. Thank you for this time. Really appreciate it. Hey, we hope you've enjoyed this week's episode and that you found something that you can put in use today for your ministry context. If you'd like more information about any of the topics that we've covered, the Baptist General Association, or maybe you have questions, you can reach out to Tony by email at tony.brooks at bgav.org. You can also check out the BGAV website, bgav.org. Thanks for listening today. And if you like this show, please leave us a comment or post a review. And make sure to catch our next episode of New Wineskins, where we discuss fresh perspectives for the local church in the 21st century. 